0: Me? Hey, what's going on how you doing man doing excellent good to connect with you um let's just jump right into it this is the ericswanracing.com podcast number 56 with travis wyman so welcome and thanks for coming on and talking to me and my podcast for about an hour or so thanks for having me so you've been a busy boy you said you've been on like four podcasts this week is that right
1: yeah you're my fourth this week yeah so it's uh on top of trying to manage the race team and work and find sponsors have been pretty much nonstop, you know, training and going to therapy and things like that. So it's been a, it's been a busy week.
0: Now you've been doing like physical therapy or like talk therapy, stress relief or what kind of stuff?
1: Uh, um, No, so uh, I'm battling from some pretty severe pump and cramping in my like shoulder blades when I'm riding and training. So I've been doing a lot of like electro acupuncture and cupping and massaging and, and things like that to try and alleviate some of the inflammation. But it's that's like my biggest challenge right now is the arm pump and the cramping I'm getting on the bike, but trying to get it sorted for the next race.
0: And so a lot of people just uh, automatically deviate to, oh, well, you're not riding the bike, right? If you're getting arm pump, but then, okay, well, look at MotoGP, look at Fabio Quattararo in the last race. Uh, leading the race, and sort of bowing out, uh, finishing the race, but in a difficult fashion because of arm pump.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was tough to watch. Everyone thought there was something wrong with the bike, but he was, you know, struggling to hang on. I mean, I've been racing and riding motorcycles for almost 25 years man and it's like starting to take a toll on me and, and every year I've debated doing the surgery and every year I'm like well maybe I can just tough it out for one more I'm almost 30 like my career's probably coming to a close you know I don't want big scars down the side of my forearms but now it's like I'm probably at like the best of my career and it's like man I should have done it during lockdown or in the off season but Here we are. So I'm trying to manage it while I can, because I don't think surgery is an option with how tight this race schedule is this year. So
0: back to back rounds and practice in between, I'm sure. So it's hard to fit it in.
1: Yeah, definitely. And the recovery on it's, you know, it's like two to three weeks without hardly doing anything. So I can't really, uh, I don't really have the time to do that, you know, with work and everything. So here we are.
0: You can't just move the controls over to the left-hand side for a minute.
1: I wish I wish because my left arm isn't too bad. Um, it's just it's really tough running you know both classes because it's four races again coming up and nobody's really on track more than we are in the stock and the Superbike Cup. So it was 13 laps at Atlanta in the stock races and 19 laps in the Superbike races and that was Saturday and Sunday not including all the practicing qualifying so it's uh, it's hard on the body for sure. Do
0: you think if you just did one class that you'd be better in that one class? you think it's too much? Is that why you're having arm pump issues? Or is this just happens to be what what injury you have right now?
1: You know, I wouldn't call it an injury. It's more of just, uh, you know, as they've figured out over time with racers. I mean, the amount of time you spend gripping and creating, you know, arm pump essentially and you know over the years i think it's just accumulated and gotten worse because it was pretty manageable in the beginning but now you know as i'm getting older it seems like it's coming on stronger and obviously the speeds are higher we're running thousand cc bikes so all the forces are higher it's just just asking a lot out of your arms you know and i don't uh really think there's much you can do training wise uh because you know for a while they figured out that you know you could exercise the forearms or at least they thought you could to help strengthen them and alleviate some of the arm pump but they found out you know a year or two later that that was actually making the problem worse so um for now it's therapy and uh, trying to stretch out and do some exercises to prep but um i don't think it has anything to do with the amount of riding i'm doing i think it's just where i'm at in my career
0: okay do you find yourself like doing this all the time like trying to stretch oh, out yeah.
1: Your arms, your yeah, a hundred times a day. <laughs> yeah. And
0: so, uh from what I understand, it's not only just a pain in your in your forearms; it's you actually get numbness in your hands.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. The last five laps of both super races, I couldn't feel my hands or what I was really doing with the brake lever. So it was basing more off a of feel than you know, or visual than off a of feel.
0: Did you end up like looking at how far you're depressing the levers, looking at your fingers?
1: No, I was just trying to stay as focused as I could. Don't need any other distractions. Sure. It is what it is, man. It's uh, it's challenging. And like you said, I mean, even the guys at the level of MotoGP are struggling with this. So it's not uh, something that only affects me, it affects basically everyone. I'd say half the Moto America superbike riders have had the surgery. I know my older brother has. So it's something I'll consider possibly in the future if we continue to run next year.
0: Yeah, for sure. It seems like uh, it's plaguing a lot of different people at uh, many different levels. So uh, definitely something to, be, to, be, to watch out for. Is there something that you would recommend uh, yourself five years ago to, to uh, avoid or is this just inevitable, do you think?
1: I think when I first started getting arm pump, it probably would have been good to do what I'm doing now as far as therapy in between races, because I didn't, I never really did much. And now it's almost like I'm behind the, you know, the ball on it and I'm trying to catch up for lost time of not doing stretching and therapy. So I don't know if five years ago, I would have done the surgery, but I definitely would have taken some preventative measures to, you know, alleviate some of it like I'm doing now. And really, I mean, working with my sports doctors here in Las Vegas and, they're trying things they don't they're not too familiar with it because i'm like one of their first you know motorcycle athletes they understand what's happening inside the arm but they're trying some stuff so we'll see
0: that's uh encouraging anyway that they're trying some new things and uh, you you mentioned cupping so tell me about that that
1: doesn't help out with your arm i wouldn't imagine no they weren't doing cupping and my forearms the cupping was up in between my shoulder blades um I've got, uh, some pretty major cramping going on and I've been working with my sports doctor now for about a year and we've kind of eliminated all the possible factors that could cause that. I've had some MRIs done on my neck and my neck and everything looks good. I go to the chiropractor and get, you know, my neck worked on and my ribs up in that area. But, um, But, you know, it could just be one of those things over time that's just gotten worse as well. Because even when I'm out on the bicycle training, I get it, you know, after an hour or so. And it's pretty painful. I'm not really able to turn my head or look behind me when that's happening. So the cupping is, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but they're basically like suction cups they put on your skin. And what they're trying to do is pull the skin away from the muscles and separate everything in there so that it, Freeze things up a little bit, I guess. And okay. I mean I could show you got pretty gnarly bruising on my my neck from it. So it's pretty intense therapy, but it uh it helps for sure. And from
0: what I understood, it just brings more blood flow to the area to help uh, circulation.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's the idea. You know, it's it's situational based on the injury and also which part of the body they're working on, but um, this is my first time doing it pretty intensely in that in that region, so we'll see how it helps out.
0: It's interesting, all the different uh, technologies and concepts that are, I mean, that's probably not
1: a new concept, but it's coming back to, to light anyways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in the last three years or so, since I started working with BMW, I've put so much effort and attention on my my health and my hydration and my nutrition and just trying to be at hundred percent or at least my 100 when I get out on the bike it's something that I wish I would have taken more seriously or at least researched more when I was growing up racing you know I didn't even have an understanding of hydration at all until I started working with a nutritionist um and it's changed my life really so it's big stuff
0: are you working with a uh, electrolyte company or something like that to help you keep you hydrated or how do you uh, how do you manage that
1: yeah, so I, I'm sponsored by a company called Precision Hydration. They're actually started out of the UK, but they have a hub in the US now, and it's basically hydration tablets. You know, there's a you know a thousand different companies out there that provide these things, but I guess I'm not shy to say. Now, at first, I was pretty embarrassed, but like I always thought that if you just drank a bunch of water and like had a Gatorade or you know whatever, that you were good to go. But I never understood how hydration actually works, and how you want to prehydrate. So, like, when you sweat, you lose a bunch of nutrients from your cells. And when your cells get depleted, those nutrients, that's when you get dehydrated. And at that point, there's really not a whole lot you can do to recover. And that's where you feel exhausted, drained, low energy. But what you can do by taking these, these tablets that I have um, is you overload your cells with all of those nutrients that you lose when you sweat so that when you sweat, you're not depleting your cells of those vitamins and nutrients. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to do even, you know, at um, at Road Atlanta, you know, I'm on the bike so much, but I'm definitely like reloading those those uh, supplements so that I'm performing it the best that I can. Yeah, you want to
0: start out the weekend like overloading with nutrients so that by the yeah. end of it, you have like an average amount
1: absolutely that's the goal right it's not always possible especially when we race like in the south and you're sweating a lot but yeah um i just it's changed my life to have an understanding of this you know how the body works and how to get it to peak performance and again it's something i wish i would have done before but i feel like i got a pretty good handle on it now and i mean obviously it's paying off we had such a good weekend in atlanta to start off the year
0: yeah. And tell me what it's like, uh, you know, racing, racing a BMW.
1: Uh, it's probably been one of the greatest steps I've ever taken in my career. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and this is my 14th professional season road racing. And, uh, I got paired up with my crew chief, Steve Weir. He's, uh, the head of BMW North America, um, racer support for BMW. And we got paired up, you know, four years ago and, He asked me to come out and ride his bike, and it's just taken off ever since. Um, At the time, there really wasn't very many people racing a BMW, and, you know, as a privateer, your goal is to always, you know, get out on the bike that nobody's winning on and, you know, prove that it can win, get support from the factory, and that's essentially what I've done in the last four years. So it's been a great relationship, and I hope that, uh, you know, we can get a, a title this year. I finished second and third with BMW a couple of times in the championships. And I just think we're ready for the top step.
0: Let me deviate a little bit from that topic. Do you think BMW, BMW will ever get into the 400cc or 600cc class
1: categories? So BMW has a 310. Um, I don't essentially know how competitive it would be in the 400s, but they do make a, you know an entry-level bike like that. It'd be great to see them come along with, uh, you know, a 600, but, you know, that's insider info above my pay grade, I guess. Uh, It'd be cool to see them expand, you know, their involvement in racing in the United States isn't very high. Obviously over in World Superbike, they have a, you know, a full factory team. I just don't know how much backing they have from the factory to put, you know, multiple bikes like that on the racetrack i think their focus is the thousand cc's which they're proven to be successful you know especially the new bike yeah but i think their main focus is really in the off-road you touring counter class sport touring bikes that's where they're you know they're i'd say ahead of the game in most categories yeah
0: yeah and then they dabble in racing and do extremely well you see uh guys like tom sykes in the past and uh uh all the guys in world superbike just doing really good on on the bmw it seems to be a good platform do you guys have any uh communication or support or uh with
1: with them um, we do a little bit more from the electronics and technical side of things but like my bike and stock trim compared to a full world superbike they're like not a different yeah. <laughs> category so um but we do we do have communication with the factory over in germany and we uh well I say we, it's mostly my crew chief, Steve, um, has access to some information from them. So it's been helpful for sure. But last year on the new bike was difficult for us because it was new to everyone. You know, it was still in the testing phase and working out all the growing pains with the bike to get it to where it is now. And uh, for people who don't know, is this a stock 1000 or a full super bike? the bike that i'm racing yeah it's a stock 1000 so stock trim. there's really not much you can do in our class i'd say suspension uh we use the stock electronics um you can upgrade the brakes the master cylinders and you know things like that but in essence it's essentially the bike that you can go and buy off the showroom floor and throw some suspension on and go out and race you know
0: and I understand you can do a little bit of engine work or is you're
1: just a stock
0: engine sealed still, or do you do a little bit to it?
1: Uh If anything, we may have just changed, you know, like a head gasket or something. Uh, there's really not much you can do in the stock class. I know there's uh, some other things you can do with other brands, but I think the BMW is a great bike right out of the box. And I mean it makes plenty of horsepower. We're doing, we're the highest trap speed at, road atlanta at 180 miles an hour so oh, dang yeah well, I, don't think we're, I don't think we need to get crazy with the engine and i don't think the rules even allow for it so yeah
0: and um talk to me about the electronics a little bit you're an abs um wheelie control uh anti um endo control anything like that
1: no so i definitely definitely don't run the abs um i've ridden bmws on track like at the the California Superbike School that I work for, they have the ABS still, and um, it's too intrusive, you know. At certain lean angles, obviously, it's made to protect the rider from losing the front. Um, so, at our level of racing, we definitely don't run ABS. Uh, you just turn it off even really if console. you have it. What's
0: that? You would just turn off, turn it off even if you had it on available. Yeah.
1: yeah, especially on the track. I mean, if I was riding on the street, it's a great, you know, it's great technology taken over from the, you know, the four wheel world of things. And it's quite a bit more sophisticated than a motorcycle because obviously your contact patch is a lot smaller than a car, but, um, yeah, definitely I'd turn it off on the track, but, um, we use traction control, wheelie control. Uh, we play around with engine braking maps and things like that to help slow the bike down or, you know, allow it to freewheel more into a corner. Um, Is that
0: corner based or just based on your gearing for the, for the engine braking?
1: So I wish it was corner based, but it's per gear. I mean, we have essentially in the stock electronics, you have the ability to do per corner, but it's not legal in our class to modify that. So it's per gear, but I can usually make some pretty significant changes. I mean, um, to help me on track i mean at atlanta our setup was so dialed that i was spending a lot of time with my crew chief going through engine braking maps to just give me a little bit more free will you know in turn one or so it a little less bit for more engine braking in this area what's that so it breaks less for you yeah yeah for sure yeah like if you know for example i don't know if like the listeners know the track at all but like i was running second gear in turn one which is a really high speed corner but I was also running second gear in the tightest corners on the track. So I always set the bike up to have, you know, quite a bit more freewheel in second so that I could roll that gear through turn one. So it worked out.
0: That makes sense. Do you try to stay away from first? Is neutral kind of finicky sometimes?
1: It is. And then the way the BMW um, gearbox is set, first gear is so short. It's not even really functional. I've I've tried it before couple tracks and some really tight spots but um yeah obviously you run risk of grabbing neutral and it's such a short gear you don't really gain a lot like the the bmw has so much torque that i just you know i'd rather be in four or five thousand rpm in second gear than be screaming in first gear spinning up having to grab a quick shift i know in like the Kawasaki's suzuki's they can use first gear a lot more but on the bmw we stay away from it
0: and Road to Atlanta doesn't have a really really tight corner that's super super slow. I mean, even on my six hundred, I think it was uh, first gear went all the way up to like seventy miles an hour. So I would imagine a mm-hmm. thousand would be even for, even higher than that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, in stock gearing, they claim the BMW do one hundred first, but <laughs> uh, which I have tested that at the Superbike school. But that's wild. Um, when we change our gearing around for tracks obviously to be geared longer for the straights and things like that it changes things quite a bit for sure yeah i definitely i have some videos on youtube of me at road atlanta just screaming in sixth gear like
0: man i should have changed my gearing uh, a while back
1: <laughs> yeah I just pinned
0: on the throttle on the limiter for like 30 seconds i'm like what am i doing why why did not i change my gearing i had like all the all the sprockets available <laughs> i just didn't yep. do it yeah that's how you that's how you learn and now what i know when i go back i'll be able to hopefully pick up instant amount of time by just changing that gearing
1: absolutely yeah that's
0: hopefully anyway that doesn't always play out that way Um, but it
1: also depends on the track too i mean if sometimes you'll gear for more of the corners than the straight and sometimes you'll gear for the straight depending on how long it is like when we head to road america in a you know a few weeks obviously there's so much time you're on the straightaway you want to make sure you have your speed there but i don't know i mean like for you for example if you're on the limit of that long i probably would change gearing <laughs> but if it was only for a little bit and it benefited you to be in that gearing and you know the tighter part of the track then so be it
0: yeah it was probably a little hyperbole there but yeah it was a little longer than
1: i wanted it to be but um yeah.
0: So, I don't know if you remember, but I think we met back uh, first in uh, 2013 at a barber track day. I was pitted next to you, and then uh, I ended up blowing my transmission. I'm a Kawasaki. I was in a 2006 like Sunfire, something like that, 04 Sunfire. <laughs> uh, you know, driving all the way down to Alabama from Michigan by myself, and then blew up my transmission like the third session. And I was like, well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm going home, you know? <laughs> so I didn't have any of the parts or tools to fix it. I uh, was just a uh, privateer, just doing a track day by myself, getting ready for the season. I was like, ah, oh, damn it. I, I I, guess I'm done. You know, that's how it works if you don't have spare parts.
1: Mhm. So So uh, that's, that's when you say we met?
0: Yeah, you guys had pitted next to me. It was Kyle, yeah. you, and Cody, I think, were there with your dad. And okay. uh, I just remember... Kyle was uh breaking in a triumph or something and he was being really
1: easy on the engine that day. Well, you got a better memory than I do, man. That's like eight <laughs> years ago now or something. That's crazy. It's quite a while, yeah. That's um,
0: yeah, I don't expect you to remember eight years ago as some guy at a track day. For that was there for three <laughs> hours, you know. Um
1: yeah.
0: but uh but yeah it's i've been uh, actually away from the racing scene for a little while now i raced from or was on track from 11 to, to 2015 um and i've been doing mountain bike racing and foot racing since i kind of ran out of money um and uh, i'm just trying to build my business ericswanracing.com to help fund it myself and not have to rely on sponsorship alone because that didn't work out so well for me um sure. and uh I'm just excited to get back into it in a couple of years. And actually, I haven't talked about this yet on the podcast, uh, but I plan to do some corner working this year, some some flag station. I've never done that. I don't think most people have, have done a corner working day. So I want to do, like I can't do anything just half-assed. So I want to do like five full weekends of corner working. Um, I want to do a CCS. Um, um, that'll be an amateur race. I'd like to do a local track near me, Grand Raceway, for WERA. They do a, a Friday practice day with four bike track time, just a track day. And then uh, the amateur race on uh, Saturday, Sunday. I'd like to maybe do Pittsburgh Moto America. And then uh, I could do Road America as well in Wisconsin. And then there was one more. I could probably do WERA Mid Ohio um, coming up. So maybe five different weekends. I think it'd be pretty fun to learn that different perspective of things. Uh, you know, I've been at the racetrack sure. for for years and, and I love it. And it's hard to hard to be away from the sport and not see all your friends because all my friends live at the racetrack, you know? Right. And they're from all around the country and I haven't I haven't been there. So I'm sorry and I miss you guys. Um and I can't wait to be back. But at least this way I might be getting paid at some events. Yeah. I think they get paid sometimes, which is nice um that you go to a track and actually get paid to do it instead of spending a ton of money
1: Here, yeah nice
0: <laughs> so um i know nothing about it yet but I'm, I'm starting to learn so i'm excited
1: well from my perspective i hope to see you in the pits and not out on track somewhere
0: <laughs> that's the idea man it's uh, a couple i think in two or three years if everything goes well and i keep my job and uh, my business goes well um I, I want to be back out there at least doing uh the first year. I mean, I've been away from it now since twenty fifteen. So I did a track day in twenty eighteen, but that was like a half a track day. Um on a bike that I was planning to sell that I wasn't trying to race super hard. Um so imagine you've been away from the sport at that point, it'll be eight years or so. How many track hard days do you have to do to get back up to speed? You know, I'm thinking at least three track day weekends. And then maybe do a, a wear a race and see where I'm at, you know.
1: To my personal opinion, if you've been away from the bike for that long, I would say go take school. Just get your fundamentals back and then go out to a track day.
0: So here's the thing. Um, I haven't been riding a bike in a long time, but I'm been racing a mountain bike series. Um, and I got fourth in the state in sport last year. And I'm actually, I just started a, a go-kart racing league and I'm leading the championship right now. Um, okay. So I still have racing in my blood and I have a simulator, a racing simulator in my living room. So I'm still at the track, but not uh, really at the track, you know,
1: so, but yeah. Do you do iRacing or what are you on, on your simulator? So right
0: now it's just Gran Turismo and Formula One. Um, but even those are pretty competitive. Like I just actually downloaded an update file for Gran Turismo, I'm super excited to use, that has some sort of Olympic feature on it. I just found out about this yesterday, that there's gonna be a new, like years ago, they had something called a GT Academy, where the best racers who are the fastest mm-hmm. lap times would go and they would get, get go into a real car and do laps and drive for Gran Turismo. And yep, this yeah. one I think is similar. And that they're taking the fastest people from each country and putting them into like an Olympic legitimate race. Um, right. So that's, I would love to do racing, and my friend has that. I'm going to go over to his house, hopefully sometime next week to do some iRacing. That's really, I think, where it's at. I'm just not trying to spend uh, tons of money on my setup yet. Although I spent mm-hmm. a little bit too much already. But um, I consider the simulator in my living room to be my, my fix for now. You know, it helps me not have to spend two grand a weekend at the track or whatever.
1: For sure. So I've got a, a pretty solid setup for simulator. I've got like triple screen monitors and I run on iRacing. And the reason I go iRacing is because it I use it for training to help me learn the tracks.
0: For sure, like yeah. Like
1: all, all week or when I've had a few minutes, you know, I'll sit down and do 10, 20 laps at VIR and just prep visually and mentally for the track. It's so valuable. And that's why... I'm I'm
0: thinking I need iRacing, but you have to have a PC setup. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, you do. So
0: yeah, that's what my buddy has. My buddy Al, I interviewed him on here, uh, one of the first episodes. And uh and yeah, he's got the same thing. He's got three monitors, the full uh seat and everything. What I don't like about my setup is I bought the cheapest possible like seat and base that you mount everything to, and so it looks yep. like this all the time. <laughs> it makes it more difficult i guess um yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah it's not perfect but it works and it's uh even for gran turismo it's it's i've been playing online and uh and get my ass kicked sometimes but it's it's fun man it's uh it's it's a challenge
1: so yeah it's, it's sure. a great time. but hey, back to what we were talking about before but you you still doing some racing you're doing some simulator stuff but you haven't been active in racing bikes on track for a while. I would still 100% recommend a school get you know money back from this. And I'm not even gonna say that you have to go take the California Superbike School because mm-hmm. they sponsor me and work for them. Any school around the country, the Champion School, they're all good. You know, just to get the fundamentals of riding back before you go spend a bunch of money at a track day. That is 100% what I would do. Everybody thinks you know I'm not you know I don't mean to categorize you in this but people go to track days and they ride and they don't understand why they're not getting faster, why they're not improving and I recommend 100% going to take a school. I was racing professionally for 6 years before I got involved with the Superbike School and I kind of felt the same way when I when I approached them about a job to be a coach. The first thing they told me was well you have to go through a level 1 school as a student first. And at first I was like I'm a like, come on. pro racer. Why would I need to do that? But I, you know, I let my ego chill out a little bit and I went and took the school and did a level one course with the California Superbike School and it changed my life. Hands down, the fundamentals of riding that I had no full understanding of. It took me from being a mid level rider to, you know, winning races, top three in championships, and it has helped me immensely. So, that's what I recommend doing before you go back out to the track.
0: Well, I would definitely take your uh, recommendation to heart because it can't be bad from a pro racer. And I have I have done the the Jason DeSalvo Speed Academy a couple of times. I did it at Barber. I did it at Gingerman Raceway. Um, and it, that was such a great, valuable tool to have. Um, it, it, it just boosted my confidence and boosted my knowledge of the sport so much. Um, and actually, it's on my calendar i haven't scheduled it yet but next year sometime i want to do the corner spin road racing camp i think it's in uh, north carolina um so that's like a a road racing camp but you're on xr 100 so you're playing in the dirt but um that's one way to train and uh i actually just interviewed today desiree caldwell who is a texas tornado boot camp instructor okay Um, So, yeah, it's uh, I think all that training is, is ex- extremely valuable. Um, and I, I can't wait to have the money to spend to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, understood. So
0: all in time for sure. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, since you've been doing so many different podcasts, is there something on your mind you wanted to talk about that nobody has touched on yet?
1: I mean, really, the focus of these podcasts has been on last weekend. You know, we're leading the championship in both classes. We had to set a new track record. Um, And going into the next round, obviously, I've got a ton of confidence. But the class that I'm racing in now, the competition is so fierce. I mean, so that's really been the focus. Um, Haven't really touched on a lot about what I do outside of racing, um as far as my my jobs go and you may not even be aware but i actually i juggle four different jobs between the superbike school and then three i work uh, instructing in cars as well so i work at the, the ron fellows performance driving school which is gm based products so like the corvette racing school and cadillacs and and uh things like that and then i work for the ford racing school which specializes in mustangs SUVs, we do the Raptor off-road programs, Um, and that's based between, like, Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, Salt Lake City in Utah. And I also work for the Allen Berg Racing School, which is a formula car driving school up at Laguna Seca. So, between the Superbike School and those three car gigs, managing a race team, trying to, you know, coordinate everything and schedule everything is really difficult, Um, but somehow make it work. All my bosses are pretty uh understanding of my schedule and work with me on my dates but really i spend anywhere between 280 to 300 days a year at the racetrack and i don't think i'd have it on any other way that sounds like a blast i don't how do i get more involved
0: and do more of that
1: do more car coaching so you're like being a track um and you you race carts, so I don't like, think yeah, you have I'm,
0: a problem. I'm fast in a cart. I've I've raced an Audi one time in an autocross, and I got third place. Um, okay. Event like it was my first time ever behind the wheel of a car, in a race event, and I did pretty good. So I mean, I'm fast in pretty much everything. Um, I just need some seat time and the money to do it, um, which is so frustrating. It's like it's all this CUS twenty two because you need the funds to compete so that you'll get the sponsors, but how do you get the money to, you know, it's it's, a cycle, so I just said, I've had it, and I'm building my own, my own money, my own way, so that's kind of my plan, but yeah, if I could be a coach somewhere, or, um, or ride and teach in in an aspect, you know, there there have been organizations, uh, track day organizations, that I could have coached for before, and gotten free track time, but at the same aspect, you don't always get to work on your own riding as much so it's kind of a right. uh, which which one do you want to do do you want to actually work on you know your championship or do you want to coach other people so it depends if you're getting paid for it or if you're actually just getting free track
1: time it, it's, it's a little different for, for sure. sure yeah getting involved in a proper school where you be an instructor or coach should be the best way to do it for sure and there's schools all over the country I mean there's Porsche driving schools BMW academies there's Pretty much every manufacturer these days that has a performance car, they supply a school that you can go to to learn about your car. So like that's how my the Corvette program works is like anybody that buys a new Corvette, they get to come take a school and learn about it. And I teach them how the car works. It's the same with Ford. So there's a lot of different places and companies and manufacturers out there now. And a lot of them do traveling stuff like Mercedes and AMG. They travel around. They're not like solely based in one, at one track, um, Ferrari, Lamborghini. Like, obviously those are harder to get onto, but um, there's a ton of programs out there. Man, you got me thinking now. Of kind of looking into it, but I, I, you have the qualification to, you know, to, I'd say, approach a school and submit a resume and tell them what you do but um, it's matter of finding one that you know fits within your schedule too.
0: Sure yeah I mean I, I actually earned my pro license for Moto America back in 2015 I just kind of ran out of funds after I smashed my bike into the wall <laughs> mm-hmm. you know I didn't have a backup one and I was like oh well I guess I'm out for now uh, Try to try to rebuild and now I'm trying to buy a house you know and try to buy a new truck and Nice. That's like 50 grand of uh, just down payment right there. So it's like, okay, well, after all that, maybe I need to, then I can buy a new bike. Then I need a new trailer. Yeah, yeah. Then it sends some new gear. I mean, I have I have a suit still. I have most of my gear. I need a new helmet. I need two new helmets. You know, so that's another couple grand. But uh, I'm optimistic. I can't wait to get back into it. But first, I'm going to do a 50cc the, and then a 150cc and then uh, do some training under me. some corner spin camp maybe a road racing camp or training uh, of some sort and uh
1: i just want to get faster (laughs) Isn't everybody oh of course i just won last week and i broke the record but i still want to go faster
0: (laughs) always this elusive but you left uh it was another three tenths from your optimal pace or whatever your optimal lap time
1: yep yep
0: (laughs) so how far away are you typically from your optimal lap time do you pay attention to
1: that? Yeah, of course. Um, by the end of the weekend, and pretty much I'd say, like, my optimal sectors are right around uh, where my fastest lap is. Um, I'm pretty consistent in my laps, like, when I get into my groove in a race, unless we have, you know, a significant fall off in handling or tire wear. But, um, I mean, when, like, when I broke the, the track record at Atlanta, like all of my sectors were on that lap. So that wow. my optimal was my best stop. <laughs> so it's usually pretty close.
0: That's good. It, it was
1: difficult. Sorry.
0: Yeah, if it's three seconds off or something, it's probably the conditions. It's, it's unlikely or you're a novice at that point.
1: <laughs> yeah, or, you know, and at Atlanta there was 36 bikes in our class in stock 1000. So in qualifying, my best time was, I think, uh, like a 27, five or something, but my optimal was like a 26, five, but I kept getting into lap traffic. So, um, the lap was there essentially if you were to put all the puzzle pieces together, but I couldn't actually make it happen being held up. You know, it's a pretty short track with that many riders on it. It was uh, difficult, but Overall, I'd say I'm pretty consistent.
0: That's good. Uh, Is there any one aspect that you typically struggle with? Or is it always, I mean, you're always working on suspension and setup. Like corner entry or braking zones, typically, anything like that?
1: Um, It's so situational. uh, Depends on the track and things like that. My biggest obstacle right now is my forearm pump like my training is good my fitness is good but when you get to a point in the race where you can't hardly hang on anymore or navigate the bars i mean that's my limiting factor right now but as far as like bike setup goes or like riding attributes i'd say my weakest point is probably confidence on the edge of the tire like you know where, like oh, yeah. over in Europe, those guys are so confident to be pushing at the absolute limit at all times. I have difficulty getting to that point quickly. Okay, know. yeah, I, I see. Build up
0: I see a big uh, factor that people make up a lot of time is like trail breaking, um, like the Marquezes of the world, that that are nearing perfection on trail breaking speed. It's it's hard to compete with with that level of uh, speed and accuracy um, when when there's when that's a dangerous point of the corner for making up time. Typically, I mean, dangerous as far as you might lose the front, but losing the front might be actually one of the easier crashes. Uh, as far as like trying to maximize the throttle might be more dangerous than losing the front.
1: Right, right, or at least more predictable.
0: Yeah um so it's all just trying to manage it all and staying on two wheels it's sometimes difficult (laughs) are you looking forward to uh some some wet weather racing this year if we go to uh some tracks that have have those poor conditions
1: uh definitely i love racing in the rain um i seem to excel in the rain We haven't done it in a long time, though. We've made it all through last year without a single rain race. We had a wet session at Road America, but we're heading to Virginia and Road America in June, and those places usually prove to, you know, produce some rain, but um, next weekend's actually looking pretty clear. So, you know, if I was struggling right now and I was fifth or sixth place, I'd say, yeah, give me a rain race so I have a shot at a victory, but. I feel super confident with the package we have right now, even in the dry. And I'd say setup wise, Red Atlanta and VIR are very similar and VIR is a track that I like a lot. I think we're going to do really well there. And I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we are finally getting to grips with the new BMW. Cause last year was very difficult. So I just feel great. Like even at lap record pace, it felt somewhat easy. So I'm looking forward to getting back out there next weekend.
0: That's exciting when, it, when you're doing that fast pace and it doesn't feel like you're working for it and you look down and see lap time, like, oh, all right, I thought I was going three seconds slower <laughs> or whatever, you know, it's, uh, it means you're doing something right. You're, you're at the fundamentals down, you've got your body positioned in the right, in the right way um, and somewhat you hit the setup. Now you're not going to hit the setup perfectly every time. You're always going to ride around something, right? But that's just part of it. Yeah, Yeah,
1: for sure. sure. But that's where having a team and a good engineer to create baseline setups is so important. You know, especially at our level, we only have 30 minutes of practice. and we go straight to qualifying. There's no time to like really set the bike up. But given that we raced to Road Atlanta last year, when we showed up this year, we knew exactly where the bike needed to be set based on, you know, my fastest lap from the previous year. The difficulty we'll find at VIR is we didn't race there last year because it got canceled because of COVID. So that's the only track other than Brainerd, the new track, that we haven't ridden the new platform BMW at. But the setup's so similar between Atlanta and VIR and, and that it's back-to-back, I think, will be just fine.
0: Makes me think of your simulator. Are you? What kind of car
1: are you on in your iRacing sim uh, for VIR? So... I mean, I'll get out with my buddies and we'll mess around and we'll have races in my, like the, you know, the Miatas and, you know, bang around and crash each other and whatnot. But like for my own training, visually, I always try and pick a car that's, you know, five seconds or so quicker than my laps around the track. Uh, nothing crazy like a, you know, a, a Formula One car or something along those lines because the speed's too fast. But I think just visual timing and repetition and processing, you know, what you're seeing, how to approach a corner, errors that are made. I think it's so beneficial and it's cool to hear that you have a simulator that you use. My younger brother, he lives here in the house with me. He's got his simulator set up right beside mine. So we jump on and, and, you know, do some races when we're home, but I'm surprised more guys in our industry of two wheels aren't using these simulators because at iRacing, it's a computer software program that they send a team of people out to the track and laser scan the track. So they're perfect. They're every crack or bump in the road. Like, I don't know why more guys aren't using it. And hopefully I don't give it away here that I got training on video games, you know, but uh, I wouldn't even call it a video game because the the thing is so realistic um, that it's, it helps i yeah. mean when i showed up to road atlanta after doing weeks of, on the sim i was ready to go
0: <laughs> that's exciting yeah it's uh i feel like i'm missing out on some of the tracks but at least i'm getting getting the feel for it but i'm not i'm not going to specific tracks right now so it's not as valuable um but for you going getting to, racecraft and... yeah and um Sorry. on gran turismo they're all real tracks and uh so you are you know learning learning different tracks around the world there's there's some new ones that i'm not super familiar with and actually the on the formula one circuit uh there's a bunch of new tracks that i don't know there's azerbaijan there's a mexican grand prix there's russia sochi um Mm -hmm. and so there there's those are totally different and now you're trying to hustle a formula one car on some of these corners that a a car doesn't belong on (laughs) some crazy (laughs) corners there it's like Who designed this why did you make this with walls next to it but that's how they like it (laughs) Their walls are in their dna (laughs) just different absolutely so uh so yeah is um is there anybody on your team you want to talk about like uh crew guys or uh, anybody any personnel who's been a helpful uh person to you
1: so absolutely i mean first of all i mentioned my crew chief steve weir of bmw north america he he works for bmw so anybody in the country and even canada when if they have technical questions about the bike or setup of their you know their bmw they can call steve and get support and this year in the moto america paddock there's i think the most uh the highest amount of bmw riders that we've ever seen at the pro level so like even though he's my crew chief and he works he works with me he's Spent, he spends more time around the paddock helping everyone else, too, with their setup and things because that's what he's contracted to do. So, fortunately enough, I'm happy – I'm uh, glad to have him in my corner because, uh, you know, he's labeled as my crew chief, but he helps everyone else out, even my competitors. Um, but he's really good at what he does, and I definitely owe a lot of the setup and the changes we make to, you know, to him and, and all the testing that we did leading up to Atlanta – definitely helped because we did like proper testing, like rather than just trying to make the bike faster, he was testing like both ends of the spectrum of a setup so that I understood how the bike would react, even though he knew the change was going to affect the bike negatively, he wanted me to feel that. And that's something we've never really had the chance to do before. So I owe it to him for putting in the effort to come and test with me and, you know, be in my corner and all the work that he does with BMW. And then also I have to thank my main crew guy. His name's Alex Torres. He runs a motorcycle performance shop in Austin, Texas called Fastline Motorcycle Performance. He used to be based out of California, but then he moved to Texas. Um, But he is literally the only guy that works on my bike, where most teams have eight to 10 people. My team, it consists of myself, Steve and Alex, and then my mom. And that's it. (laughs) So those are the people that I owe you know, everything too. My mom supplies the rig for transportation in the trailer and she helps with like hospitality, like cooking food and things like that. But it's basically just the four of us. I mean, my girlfriend comes to the races and makes sure I'm on my hydration program and, you know, make sure I have water and a cold towel and things like that. But when it comes to like setup and teardown and everything, it's me and and Alex, basically. So those are the people I have to thank for sure because that's like my core team i've even told alex i'm like hey man i'll bring more people in to help and he's like no no no, i got it he's <laughs> like he wants to know that it's done the right way uh he doesn't even let steve touch the bike hardly steve he's like go back to go to back to your computer you know tell me what the bike needs he's probably the hardest working dude in the paddock because he is the only one working on my bike so yeah. i would all of those guys for sure
0: that's cool to have uh, such a tight-knit group of people and uh I know that you have a family of racers. Do You want to talk about either one of your brothers for a second?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, my brother, Cody, he races in the Junior Cup on a Kawasaki 400 this year. He just got his first pro podium last weekend at Atlanta. And my older brother, Kyle, he's been racing Superbike for quite a few years now. He signed with Factory Harley for the bagger racing. Uh, Got a podium in the bagger, I think at top five in Superbike. And he's got basically an all new bike. He's working with this year in the Ducati that he's still trying to sort out. Um, and you know, it's just been it's been cool to have the three of us at this level for you know so many years. And actually, Atlanta was the first time that all three of us were on the podium in the same weekend since cool. we were kids growing up racing dirt dirt bikes. Yeah, and it's this first time anything like that has happened since the Hayden brothers. So we've always looked up to them kind of as our idols and to say that the three of us are racing in moto america together is really cool i mean my dad he crew chiefs um cody's bike my mom is obviously there to help me my uncle comes along it's a huge family affair even though we're all on three different programs it's still really cool
0: yeah so all all three separate teams three separate programs but you got three brothers racing in the same pro paddock that really is very rare to have not one, not two, but three professional racers. Uh, I read the uh, Earl Hayden's book um, on racing that he wrote. And uh, it really kind of made me think, you know, it, it doesn't just happen. Like there's, there's something in place there that, that helped that develop. And that's, that's a huge testament to their parents, but also the work ethic of the children and the kids. Uh, for putting in the work, but, you know, without that guidance, it'd be very difficult, I think, to get there, right?
1: Absolutely, man, it all stems from my parents, and it even stemmed from my parents' parents. My mom's dad raced cars, you know, back before, I mean, this is, we're talking like in the, you know, 1930s, 1940s, he was racing cars, and so as my grandfather, he actually started a Harley-Davidson dealership, in 1962 which we basically grew up living in and my mom uh, she owns the dealership now and my mom drag race motorcycles my dad drag race motorcycles that's where they met and then they had the three of us so racing's been in the family for a long time and motorsports has as well so uh it definitely is really cool I'm very you know proud of what we've done and I'm very fortunate to have parents that you know brought us up in racing i couldn't imagine doing anything else
0: yeah and uh have you ever been to the drag strip then since your both your parents have
1: personally uh i mean we grew up at the drag strip before we were old enough to race my parents were still racing i mean there's pictures of us in strollers with our big earmuffs on at the drag strip you know um so we basically grew up in it. I think my mom was even like two or three months pregnant with us when she was still drag racing in her pickup truck. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of a grain in the blood, man. Um, yeah. But since then, I've done a lot of events at drag strips, like as part of the you know the Ford Racing School. We do drag strip runs with the GT five hundreds and things like that. So I've spent some time, but I never actually competed at a drag strip.
0: Okay, I think it would probably be beneficial for starts, but well,
1: obviously. <laughs> Yeah, dude, that's, okay, you asked me what my worst flaw is in racing, and it's definitely my starts. You think so? Yeah.
0: See, I was always, I felt like I was good at starts, but I'm a light guy, I mean, I'm not super light, I'm uh, 150 pounds, um, six feet tall, but light and skinny, I guess, Um, but I was good on the Kawasaki when I was starting, but I switched to the Triumph, I only had a few starts in the Triumph, so I wasn't really used to it yet. But I, I never had a great start in the try So maybe it was just I was I I felt that bite point really well with the, the Kawasaki. It's good. It's good.
1: I think I've only ever started and led in a turn one and won a race one time. i oh, okay. usually make my job a lot harder coming from fifth or sixth to win a race. So that's something that uh I should probably Think about doing is going out to the drag strip and practicing some starts.
0: Yeah, I couldn't hurt. That's for sure. You know, uh, my best start ever was at Mid Ohio um from the third row in a national race, and I got the whole shot in a 600cc class. Um, there you go. Now I will say that there was there wasn't a pile up but there was um, there was some slower riders at the apex of the turn and I decided I'm going to go around everybody. So I just took the, the outside line and it happened to be faster. I was like, Holy crap, that worked out. <laughs> you know, sometimes it works. If you just take a different line, it's a little unorthodox. Uh, you can make gaps on people, but it, it is risky. It can be. Absolutely. But that's all about racecraft. You know, I thought for a while I was going to call this podcast Racecraft because I just love, I just love the concept of, like your strategy, your planning, uh, how you make passes. If you you know, pass and repass somebody, um, I just love it, man. That's, you know, I, there's a reason why I own a business with my name on it. It's called Eric Swan racing. I just love racing. I just love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Seems super passionate about it. And it sounds like you're kind of multicultural in the auto sports, motorsports industry like I am. So it's pretty cool to hear you race cars and, you know, have raced a car before and you got a simulator but you're obviously in motorcycles so yeah it's cool to be able to relate to people like that
0: yeah you know I think motorcycles is just such such a more attainable thing for most people for me anyways I can't realistically expect to buy a Mazda Miata uh, and put a race engine in that car Um, you're looking at like a hundred thousand dollars for just the car and everything or at be least competitive
1: 80, for sure,
0: thousand or more, right? So it's it's unrealistic. I mean, some of the you could say some of the super stock bikes are pushing forty, fifty thousand, uh. But you don't need that to compete. I mean, people are out there on. Um, I think John Hawkins is on like a twenty sixteen year old bike. He's on like a five year old bike out there. You know, racing pro level stuff. It's possible and doing well. So you don't need it. It definitely helps. Um, yeah. For sure. But even, like, most of the time that I raced, I was on a $7,500 bike. Um, Yep. And with all the stuff behind me, that's a $7,500 bike. It's possible.
1: So... Yeah, for sure. The problem is, is, like, they made the contingency programs... Well, I'm sure they've been like that for years, but you have to have, you know, within a couple years old to earn the contingency money. But, so, for me, it's more about earning something back financially because of how expensive it is but yeah you can absolutely go out there and have fun and win races i mean on an older bike i was out testing a chuck wall this winter and i was getting beat by dudes on like 10 year old 600s and i was like these guys are getting after it but um yeah uh the contingencies is where a lot of the money invested comes back at, at pro racing so yeah, that's definitely something. A really good plan in place for Moto America between superbike and stock so that's why that's how I'm able to do it you know running both classes for sure and it,
0: it, when you're spending that much money you need money coming back in and if it's within I think it's two years of the manufacture date it's eligible yeah oh yeah. so that's definitely something to consider um, you know even a 2021 brand new Kawasaki 600 is ten thousand dollars that's a fantastic price point
1: absolutely yep
0: um i don't think there's many that can compete with that i think a lot of them used to be in the 12 125 range right um so i've been just watching uh um in between podcasts today i was watching moto gp qualifying i saw moto 2 and moto gp i haven't watched moto 3 yet so don't spoil it for me have you have you been hey, following hey. that stuff Of course. And uh, who you got your eye on this weekend? They're at Lamas in France.
1: So I texted uh, Joe Roberts before the weekend, and I told him, I said, this is your weekend, man. Like, he did so well there last year and got screwed on the start. I was like, dude, I think you got a shot. And so you said you watched it. I mean, he was fastest in dry and then third in wet, but not by much. I think he'll have a good shot starting from the front row uh my prediction in moto gp i mean i hate to jump on the train but i will say that i predicted fabio from the beginning of the year when he got on the factory bike and he's been doing really well and i think he's got a pretty good shot tomorrow how do you do the moto gp fantasy at all do you have? You know like, i signed up years? for
0: it i haven't checked it in a couple weeks so i'm a little probably a little behind
1: um yeah.
0: but yeah i I, uh, I just started doing the fantasy i'm not a big fantasy guy yet but I think Fabio, I mean, third pole position in a row, uh, that's that's almost unheard of in this era. Right. And uh, yeah. But there was almost a Honda lockout. I thought that was hilarious. It was Honda lockout, one, two, three. And then uh, it's not over yet, guys. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. They're about to put in their fastest lap when the track is driest. And uh, Trump, it, was, yeah. it was spitting down pretty hard. I even said to myself, they're not going to put any more laps in it was it was raining sideways
1: yeah the problem is with social media these days like I saw who was on pole and then when they said Honda lockout that's when I was like all right now I'm definitely going to like pay attention because uh but I was pretty impressed they put in a time there you know at the end all those guys did um MotoGP is super exciting this year it has been um my guy has always been Marquez that the dude has taken MotoGP to an entirely new level. And I, I hate pe- people who say that MotoGP is better without him because there was nothing like watching that dude be the best in the world by a long shot over everyone. Um, but it's kind of tough to watch him struggle right now. I don't, I hate to say it, but I don't know if he'll ever be the same Marquez that he was.
0: Yeah, sometimes uh, you have those crashes that kind of mess with your head a little bit, or you know, I I hit a guardrail myself at about a hundred miles an hour, one hundred twenty, and it it hurt me pretty bad. I was in the hospital for two weeks, you know, and and he didn't have a crash that bad. I mean, he broke his arm that was pretty pretty nasty. That I had, ended up having three surgeries later, uh, in part because of his uh, decision to come back so so soon. But yeah, it, it uh. All those injuries affect you. I always think about, man, how good would we all be if we didn't get injured so often? If we didn't have right all there. these tiny injuries and we didn't have to be away from the sport for a year and a half or, or however long in, in, his, in his case. But it's, uh, it's part of it. It's all about resilience. How, how hard can you get hit and still keep coming back time after time? I mean, they crash, what, 20, 30 times a season? We, I, I might've crashed two, three at the most. Yeah. And I thought that was crazy. I thought I, I can't afford this two or three. This is ridiculous.
1: <laughs> so I've had that conversation with someone before talking about like, if injuries weren't a thing, it's like, I think injuries not only humble you, but also make you stronger. Like you were kind of saying, and like, if we live in a world without uh, consequences for you know, desirable things. It's like, it's like that running joke. Like if, if you didn't get a hangover from alcohol, it would just get out of control. Yeah. (laughs) Like imagine if, imagine if UFC fighters didn't get injured, it would be unbelievably out of control. Yeah. Yes. So I think it's good. I mean, and even me personally, like my injuries have allowed me to have the time to focus more on my nutrition and my preparation and my body. So uh for me i think it's great but back to what we were saying about marquez it's like i think a lot of that his setback was not from the crash or the break because it you know at the time didn't look so bad i think it was more from the infection that he got from uh you know his surgery or in the healing process he's just not as strong anymore and he had to take such a big break off
0: yeah and to come back to a, a world level sport where everybody's the as fast the fastest person from each country. They're all national champions. You know, it's, it's hard to come back into a pool of sharks when you still have a broken fin, right? <laughs> it's difficult. It's like you can't, you can't just get back into it and do 80%. You have to get no. back into it and do a uh, 100% every every session or you're going to be the last. I mean, look at Rossi. Sure, sure. He's, uh, he's uh, obviously one of the most experienced guys in the grid, and he's on the same bike who just got pole position. Right. So... How How is he struggling so much? But he was up there at the start of the session, right? I was like, oh, Ross, he's in third or something
1: for a second. And then everybody else did their laps. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things that bugs me the most is when people say that dude's washed up and needs to retire. That guy is still competing at the highest level in the world at his age. Um, Do I think he'll win a race again? Probably not. But a podium this year I think is you know possible
0: in the cards i'd say yeah i think there's
1: a good chance of, of doing really well if it rains yeah i'd probably take that bet because there are so many dudes that can ride so well in the rain in moto gp you know between zarco petrucci Vinales, i mean there are so many guys <laughs> that are so talented at that level um but back to marquez like so Rossi didn't get his 10th championship. He's got nine. And, you know, I don't think that that's a possibility before his career is over. But before Mark got injured, I would have put a lot of money down that that dude would go 10 straight. But I don't think it's in the cards for many you know, his injuries set him back. But it's definitely exciting to watch. I'm looking you know, forward think- to the race. I wish...
0: Yeah, sorry. I, I think that um, I think Marcus still can win another championship. I don't think he's out of championship contention. I mean, it's just a couple of races in back from a major major setback. So maybe this yeah. year, um, I would say not a championship. However, next year it's a whole new ball game. You know, there's a there's mm-hmm. there's always people coming in, people going out. Just look at there's no more Cal Karchlow, there's no more Andrea Unoni, there's no more Davizioso. Like, all these people who are uh, phenomenal racers, sometimes they bow out. Sometimes they don't have a choice. Sometimes new guys come up, and the new guys are finishing 17th. So it leaves a big Mm -hmm. opportunity. There's always this flow of new people coming in and going out. People retire, Colin Edwards, you know, uh, Danny Pedrosa, you know, Jorge Lorenzo. All these major names just are not in the sport anymore. Um, So it leaves a major opportunity where Pedrosa was a, uh consistent podium finish finisher now there's another spot on the podium that's available
1: mm-hmm. for sure and it oh. seems like depending on the track like you could take the top 15 guys and they've got a shot at the podium yeah or even depending uh depending on the track the conditions and all that
0: Jorge Martin is out of even back yet
1: no so injured he had a bad crash yeah. at uh Austria
0: and was out for yep. a little while. Was it Austria or Portimao? Yeah. Portugal.
1: Portimao, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, MotoGP is definitely exciting. Uh, I love watching Moto2, you know, because I raced against Joe for a lot of years. And, you know, seeing Bobier jump into that from, you know, this level is cool. I'm really excited to watch World Superbike this year because I, I honestly think Garrett has a good shot. Um, but also just excited that to see so many americans now coming from moto america going to that level and proving that we're competitive over here like it just it makes me feel good about what we're doing over here as a sport and it's bringing more attention to our series too and our talent level and it might i mean i'm 29 years old now but it might open the door for something in the future for me personally i figured the days of potentially going to europe were come and gone a long time ago but who knows I mean we've got Europeans coming over here to race so the level is obviously very high and I think it's great for the sport to have the Americans in it but I'm really looking forward to World Superbike too.
0: Yeah for sure to echo your thought I think Joe Roberts is doing phenomenal Cambodia, he's doing great in his first year. Uh I'm excited to see Garrett Gerloff and, and World Superbike kick some ass Um and it's exciting you know Cam Bovier being out of the MotoAmerica America series leaves a gap in our series for a new champion. And it's exciting to see who takes over that spot. I think the attack Yamahas will be really strong. I think Heron will be right up there. I think Jake Gagne will be there too. Um, you know, Kyle, he's a, um, a podium finisher. I think he can get back up there. I think he can, uh, can do that some more. Um, you know, Hector Barbara. And, and Loris Baz being in the series, that's pretty interesting. I expected Hector Barbera to be way farther up than he was. Um, and Loris Baz, everybody thought he was going to sweep away and take take the win by 20 seconds, and that didn't happen. So it's, uh, um, you know, he's got yeah. to give you circuits, uh, new bike, new team, new new everything, new country. So it's not like it's just going to – everything going to click the first time
1: you throw your leg over the bike. So it's going to take some time. Um, For sure. Get- made it with everything and you even forgot to mention the current superbike points leader too matthew schultz is stronger than ever this year
0: um
1: you know he's
0: uh on the westby racing bike and on the yamaha and he's he's proved to be fast he surprised me i did not expect him to be as fast as he was he was not in my radar as if we were playing moto america fantasy he wasn't in my roster
1: Yeah, that's a home track for the Westby team, so I know they did quite a bit of testing there, but, you know, anybody that's not on a factory team always kind of takes the back seat when you start thinking about potential race winners, but I think they got a pretty solid program this year, and I think Matthew's riding better than ever. I mean, he's always close to the front row qualifying or, you know, just one or two spots off, but. I think it's pretty wide open this year in Superbike. Who's going to take it? I mean, I think any of the top six guys could have a shot at it. And, and Tony's has got it has, anymore. God, yep. So where Tony is. To so,
0: yeah, Baz yep. got some work. And it's exciting to see how it all plays out. I just love that. It's like a – I call it a male drama. It's like just see the how it all plays out.
1: <laughs> yep. And for me, my goal is to, you know, try and latch onto those guys as best as I can in the superbike races even if it is for a couple laps. I mean um at Atlanta I was qualified, you know, at the top spot of all the stock guys and even ahead of a few superbike guys. So in those opening laps I was following Hector Barbara and my brother and they actually towed me to an, you know, an even better lap record and I learned some things for the little bit of time that I could stay with them. Obviously, you get on that long straightaway horsepower, they pull the gap. But I think it's some other tracks, if I'm in that same position, I should be able to get a toe on them. You know, kind of like how Peterson did last year. He was able to mix it up with some of those guys at the tracks. That's really my goal for this year in the Superbike Cup.
0: Get ahead of some of the Superbike guys
1: mm-hmm.
0: and try to get up, yeah. up with them. again. You know, anytime you can get up with a faster rider and faster bike, you can learn from them and hopefully um, shave off some time on your lap time. And uh it's just so difficult when they have a bigger engine. It's like you just gotta make it up on braking, and you gotta push harder in the corners and they're already pushing as hard as they can
1: <laughs> for sure, yeah and um it would be really cool um to be like the top finishing b m w and you know in Superbike. I'm not saying I'm gonna beat Hector Barbara by any means because he's somebody I looked up to and watched race but Uh, like you said about Baz, I mean, Hector doesn't know any of the racetracks and he is on the older generation BMW. So I think at some tracks I might have a, you know, a pretty good shot. I finished behind him in both superbike races. So, uh, I'm going to do what I can to improve our setup so we can be up there and not be battling with, you know, the stock guys.
0: You know, it seems like a, um, a loss or not, not good enough that we don't have a motorcycle simulator. Why is there no SIM product that you can buy off the shelf like a fanatic simulator yet? Good question.
1: I mean, they've got $200,000 full motion car simulators, so I don't think it's too far out of the realm. I've seen some things on like Instagram and of like a MotoGP bike, but I think it would be so unrealistic simulating the G-forces and the way that the bike leans and things like that. that They're still going to have to work out you know, create some sort of hydraulic system that will simulate that a little bit better. But for me right now, I mean, the, the racing is good enough just for learning the tracks.
0: Yeah. And you know what I noticed? I've been doing this kart racing league and after I did 30 laps, my neck was killing me for the next couple of days. You can't simulate yep. G-Force on a simulator.
1: No, you can't. <laughs> yeah. And they've, they've been trying. They've been working on, you know, full motion sims that move under braking, slide back and acceleration i mean you hit a wall or something the whole thing shakes but um and i've actually spent some time on some of those full motion simulators and it's like it almost gives you motion sickness because there's a delay to it it's not super realistic i mean driving a formula car and the you go to the brakes and it dives down like a big trophy truck would and it's like i, mean, I get it you guys are doing a good job but it's still not quite there
0: yeah you get the concept but it's not perfect for sure for sure but i mean one day who knows maybe uh 2030 we'll be there Ah,
1: sooner than that you think so 2030 we're gonna be flying to the moon
0: (laughs) (laughs) so So what's your uh, what's your next big technology thing you're excited for is there anything on your radar whether it's bikes or just consumer electronics or going to the moon or mars maybe
1: um so I did so I do have like a fifth job it's not um it's like a part-time thing I started working um working with Google in their autonomous car so I think the technology there is pretty exciting stuff obviously it's the more uh self-driving we get the further we stray away from motorsports and racing so uh, I just think it's pretty exciting to think there'd be a, you know, a day that we'd see in our lives where you could just hop in the car and it'll take you to where you want to go. And we're already getting to that point. So I think that stuff's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. You know, I think there's a, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. If It sounds like it could be terrible for motorsports because less people would be driving. But personally, I hate transportation. I Traffic. love driving. <laughs> But I hate transportation, you know. So like, give me a racetrack, give me a, any vehicle to to perform on, and I love it. Give me uh, fifty thousand cars and seventeen stoplights and forty mile an hour speed limits, and that's not for me. Um, so <laughs> yes. yeah, I mean, I think when people can't drive or they're taken over by all autonomous cars, they'll be like, well, I still like that whole motorsports thing, maybe see if I can go to the track more often. And maybe, maybe there'll be more people going to the track because they can't actually drive the
1: car. Could be, we'll see. It's pretty crazy. So what I think, think about
0: uh, it'll be safer. You, you think that it'll be, if the car is, if the car, a computer is driving, it should be safer. But the joke is always, well, car, computers never crash, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, let's just say, let's say tomorrow we went full autonomous. Every car on the road was autonomous. There would be 20 years of glitches and crashes. I mean, I don't think automobile accidents are going away anytime soon, even if computers take over. I mean, look at our cell phones. They've been around for 10, 15 years now, the smartphones. And my phone just crashed the other day in the middle of a freaking Zoom call. It just shut off. So who's to say that those things aren't going to happen? But it's exciting for sure. I'd say another, one other thing that's really cool. I mean, I've been going to see my sports doctor, the advancements in technology with those things with uh, like the medical side of things is crazy. Like they have this x-ray machine that is showing you live picture of what your bones look like. Like I broke my elbow last year and had surgery and there's a couple screws in there. And I, I want to see that it was healing properly and they have this big device they held over my elbow and it's showing up on the screen and she's moving it around and it's like man, wow. i remember the days of like getting the imaging done you'd have to wait weeks for those plastic <laughs> films to come and then you still couldn't even hardly see what was going on it's advancements in technology are pretty crazy now
0: and they're just going to keep getting faster well not always um they only get faster if we keep funding them right like phones are getting faster cuz everybody keeps buying them um, right. but toasters have kind of leveled off cuz there's not a whole lot of new technology in toasters right right but uh but yeah so i'm just uh i'm just going to be watching some more moto 3 qualifying you know there's so many series now to follow it's it's almost overwhelming there's i started following the CEV over in europe and then there's the uh the t- the talent cup as well that class um And then there's the IMSA, you know, there's IndyCar and Formula One. You got motorsports over here for um, Supercross, uh, motocross, indoor and outdoor. Um, And then you got the AFT, American Flat Track, Moto America. You can't tell me there's nothing on TV. I mean, (laughs) I'm 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 sure I'm missing like the Mazda MX-5 Cup. That's a support class for the IMSA sometimes. There's a Porsche Cup. Um, Then they have, obviously, there's a six hours of was the spa that they just had so the world endurance championship World endurance um and then there's uh, also the the motorcycle um the endurance for WEC, right world endurance championship Uh, maybe i said that second time but either way there's a lot of them to watch and uh, i try to follow most of them but i don't i don't watch racing full-time i mean you could spend all your time doing that i just skip all the preamble, I just go straight to the race. I don't need all that, you know, pre-race stuff.
1: Definitely makes it more exciting, too, when you know someone in the series. Like, my involvement with four wheels in the last 10 years is I've met some amazing people and worked with some really cool people. Like, earlier, I was watching the Xfinity NASCAR race because I got three of my buddies in it. I've got buddies that are racing overseas in cars, you know, and like you said, I grew up uh, in the flat track racing. I grew up doing that, so... You know, it's definitely more exciting when you know people in it, but there's definitely no shortage of racing these days. I think, um, I think it's great for the sport, all these broadcasting streaming services that are out now uh, you can, you know, watch it on your own leisure rather than having to tune in at three in the morning to watch, you know, MotoGP qualifying in France. So it's pretty cool. Definitely more accessible. And
0: I, I saw you posted on social media, uh there's a bad crash or something uh nascar cup
1: that was my buddy just earlier today
0: yeah it looked like yeah. a nasty one There's a big pile up uh, cars going everywhere
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah they're racing at dover it's his third ever nascar race my buddy matt Jaspel. he i started working with him at one of the car schools out here and he's jumping into it and trying to figure it out and he ended up on top of another car today so
0: <laughs> that's how it goes yeah. sometimes but uh Definitely. you know I'm actually listening to an audiobook uh Dale Jr right now um and he's talking about all his concussions and all his head trauma that he went through and all the dizziness and uh all the notes he was making on his iPhone all the times he was feeling bad and uh it just makes me think of you know all those collisions that they have even though they're not hitting the ground they still have major injuries like <laughs> all the time it could be maybe they they didn't let go of the wheel at the right time and they, they they sprained their wrist or they i mean they have a hans device for their neck but still they're getting head injuries not, hit, not hitting anything right it's just,
1: it's right an impact of deceleration absolutely yeah i mean some of my worst concussions and head injuries were when i didn't even hit my head it was more from just a jolt you know yeah. more of a neck injury than anything that resulted in a pretty severe concussion so Absolutely, even in a car with full roll cage, Hans, proper helmet, and everything, you still get hurt.
0: Yeah, it's um, it can be bad, but um, it's getting better, I'd say. Um, yeah. although you look at like the Ro- Roman Grosjean crash at Bahrain, did you see that
1: one? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that was pretty scary. His car, you know, split in two in a, in a ball of fire. It's like that's not ideal, that's not what
1: you want. Did you, Did you see the you know, the episode where they actually like broke it down and CGI recreated it and all that. It's pretty insane.
0: I saw maybe not I didn't see that episode. I saw it on Formula One, the drive to survive. They they talked about it where um he said he was trying to get up one way and it was like black, and he tried to get up the other way and it was black that way. And he and then he saw he saw orange and he's like, Wait a minute, it's not a sunset. Oh no, that's fire. I need to get out now. And then he just you know, started trying to evacuate a different way and ended up getting
1: out
0: and that all happens in like slow motion in a quarter of a second.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now have you ever uh, had to use an air fence? Have you ever hit an air fence before?
1: Yeah quite a few times uh, nothing too serious. Um, one of my worst crashes was probably in New Jersey at the end of turn one somebody blew up right in front of me and I crashed in their oil as soon as i went to the brakes about 160
0: Oof.
1: ended up down in the air fence on the far end um, i have before they definitely work yeah
0: tell me what that's like going into an air fence
1: um it still hurts um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it hurts a lot less than you know hay bales or tires for sure um yeah. obviously there's a use for them. you know And especially like even in flat track, they use them, which is, um, pretty awesome. You know, I mean, when you see a rider and a bike go into an air fence and the air fence pops, I mean, it's essentially like an airbag in a car. I mean, it's designed to stop the initial impact and it's a great uh, invention that they put into racing, you know, quite a few years back and probably would have saved quite a few lives back in the day, you know, but advancements and everything, you know? Yeah. Even the airbag suits now these days. Do you wear an airbag suit? I don't. Uh, I'm sponsored by Cortec. As you can see behind me, they don't have an airbag set up for it yet. They're working on that. and I'm working with them on some development for a newer suit in the next year or so. That's going to incorporate if not the Alpine Stars airbag um, system, something very similar.
0: Okay, very cool. Kind of like a private label, you know, um, dual manufacturer type deal.
1: Not sure how they'll do it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that. Very good.
0: Um, and uh, I don't think we mentioned, but where are you on social media? Where can people find you out there? Are you on uh, Instagram and Facebook and all that?
1: Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's t Wyman. So T and then my last name underscore ten. You can find me on Instagram, and then on Facebook, it's uh, Travis Wyman Racing is my racing page,
0: and uh, Twitter. Any other ones? TikTok.
1: I don't really use Twitter. Uh, my TikTok is like four videos of my dog on it. So <laughs> we'll stick to Instagram and Facebook for now. I'm not. I'm not big into social media. I'm getting better at it from a promotional side of things. It's definitely where, you know, advertising and marketing is is been headed for many years so definitely using it more to promote my sponsors and make sure they get recognized. you know everyone's all about the tags and the, the amount of clicks these days but um yeah i'd say instagram and facebook is where i'm basically located these days
0: and uh what about a, any video are you a video creator for youtube
1: no no um fam he's popular videographer photographer in the industry now he just did a really cool edit for me and for hustle hard racing at the last round highlighting our win and that's posted on instagram but i don't do any of that myself i don't have time (laughs) well you have you have video created for you anyways yeah yep
0: that's very cool you know it's it's cool to have those edits to uh to post out there and uh to show what you're really doing people don't most people when i say i race motorcycles they're like oh you're like motocross uh no (laughs) that's that's usually the go-to right like motocross right (laughs) that's why my logo looks like a a sport bike so that's not motocross
1: (laughs) yep yeah actually like the little edit that gray fan did for me helped my doctor better understand why my lower back hurts after a race weekend she was like oh i saw that clip she's like now i see why you're in pain like (laughs) i see the position that you're in i didn't fully understand it before so yeah it's all good stuff for sure
0: and uh, we're about an hour and 25 right now is there anything else you wanted to talk about i was trying to wrap it up in, in about an hour and
1: a half today no um big thing for me is like obviously racing is expensive i'm right now at the top of my sport i'm My main focus when I'm off the track, other than training, is collecting sponsorship. And right now I've got uh, a new sponsor on, a title sponsor for VIR. It's a company called Share, um, S-H-A-I-R, if you've heard of Turo before. Oh, yeah. In simplistic terms, it's like Uber for your exotic car. Like, let's say you own a Ferrari and you don't drive it a lot, but you want to make money off of it, you can post it up and have it rented so that's essentially what Turo is and share is a new company to compete with Turo my opinion a little bit better the platform's easier to use the insurance is better and it's one of my buddy's startup companies um, that he's helped work on so they're actually coming on board as title sponsor at BIR so the announcement nice. will be coming out soon on that with some links you know to their social media so you can figure out how it all works uh, it's pretty neat anywhere in the country you can fly to and you know pick up you know, your dream car rather than having to go to an exotic rental place and pay thousands. It's got uh, some pretty reasonable pricing and it's, you know, at this day and age, fairly easy. A lot of it's even contactless. You know, you don't even have to meet the owner to go get it. So that's the company that's come on board for VIR. Uh, but moving forward, I've got a lot of opportunities open for other rounds for title sponsorships going ahead. So uh, if anybody's listening wants to jump on board at the BMW program, I'd really appreciate it.
0: Very good. And uh, I've actually used Turo before. It was, uh, I was getting my, getting something fixed on my truck. It, it was in the shop and uh, um, I didn't want to go to enterprise or rental car or, you know, spend all that money. It's like over $100 a day sometimes to do those major companies. And this, I don't remember the exact cost, but I think it was something like 30, 40 bucks a day um or less i i got a kia kia rio so it wasn't anything exotic
1: <laughs> it was just something
0: basic to get me through but uh yeah it was super cheap and i would recommend it so if this one's uh, even better cars i
1: that sounds like it could be a, a good winner a good app yeah it's pretty cool it's like it's like it replaces the middleman in all these transactions you know you don't have to go through a rental car agency it's it's done through the owner so it's a pretty neat company
0: Hey, I'm all for it. It's like the it's the gig economy. Everybody has multiple jobs now. Everybody is doing multiple things because you can rent out your car and you can rent out some space on your lawn, and you know you can you can mow other people's lawns through apps now. Um, so everybody's trying to hustle. Everybody's you know it's a it's a pandemic. And uh, um, quickly, how has the pandemic affected you, if
1: any? Um, it has and It's changed like my, my work life, obviously how we interact with customers and students and things like that. But, uh, for me during the time off when everything was essentially shut down, it just gave me more time to train. I got like extremely addicted to mountain biking. And since you're allowed to be outside and and do things, I, you know, I bought a new bike last year and I've got like 1500 miles on it already. So awesome uh, for me it didn't change a whole lot i think you know last year i think i traveled more than i ever have in a calendar year it didn't really <laughs> affect me too much but um i know it's affected a lot of other people so i don't want to sound um uh, you know like i'm not uh aware of what's happening but it's definitely hurt a lot of people in a negative way uh i'm just happy to see that things are starting to open back up again you know Everyone says a new normal. I don't think it'll ever be how it was, but hopefully, we can get back to somewhat of a civilized society and everyone gets along and trusts each other and we, you know, carry on with life. For sure, it's um,
0: it's exciting. I just heard some news the other day that they're releasing or um, reducing restrictions on masks for vaccinated people. So they're trying to incentivize it by, you know, saying this so that hopefully more people will get it, and we can all go back to doing whatever the hell we want to do, and not have to worry about all this stuff. <laughs> for so, sure. So that's about our time for today. So thank you so much for coming on here. I still have a bunch of podcasts to edit and post before I even touch yours, so it'll be at least probably a, a month uh, before I post yours. But thanks for coming on, and I'll get it uh, once I do post it. I'll make sure I tag you. And put it on. I put it on YouTube and Anchor, which goes to all the audio platforms like Spotify and Google Podcasts and Apple iTunes. And then I also Spotify. post it to Instagram TV in two separate clips because they only allow you 60 minutes or less. So uh, it'll be out there, and uh, and uh, just make sure you reshare it so that it gets as many eyeballs as possible. So it'll be on your network as well, and then uh, maybe we'll follow up in about a year, and we'll. We'll uh, reconvene and see how you're doing. Do a follow-up. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. It's fun. I appreciate your time and have a good day. See you, man. See you. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.